Hi, I'm Nick Payne. I am the director of worship at a church called Grace in Roseville, Minnesota, and you are listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. We release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month, so make sure that you're subscribed to whatever app that you're using to listen to your podcast, and that way you're notified when the next one drops. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm really, I really think that you're going to enjoy this episode. This episode is number nine, and today we're going to hear from Nick. Nick Payne. Now, Nick is someone that I've gotten to know through the beauty of technology and social media. He's a worship pastor at Grace Church in Roseville, Minnesota, which is near the Twin Cities. And he, he started as a volunteer playing in the worship band. And then and then when he was finally hired to come on staff at Grace, it was actually to work within the discipleship arm of the church. It wasn't until later that he actually became the leader of the worship ministry. And I think it's all those experiences coming together that inspired him to do something that he now calls the Rehearsal Revival Project, which is a way to strengthen the relationships among the people that are serving within the ministry and to strengthen their relationship with God. And I first heard about this because Nick would get on these Facebook groups that I'm a part of, and he would encourage other worship pastors to do the same thing. He would even say, picks or it didn't happen, which is where that hashtag Rehearsal Revival Project came from. So this is a conversation about why Nick is so passionate about this and how we can implement something like this in our own ministries and to do so in steps, to do so in phases. By the way, you're going to hear some audible interference noise as Nick is talking. It kind of sounds like a radio station that's fading out because you're too far away. It happens a few times throughout the conversation, but it only lasts about a minute or so when it does. So I apologize for that, but I think the content is so good that it's worth sharing even if the audio isn't perfect. But first, the product of the month is Worship Workspace, which is another project that Nick has his hand in. You know, there's these Facebook groups that are out there that um, are a wonderful place to connect with other people, to get different ideas, and to be able to network with other people that are doing the same thing that we do. And so there's beauty in that, but there's a way to go next level where they have essentially created this private group using Slack, which is a kind of a texting. It's like group texting on steroids, and many people might use Slack in their business to be able to communicate within different departments, but some other people, Worship Workspace included, have kind of figured out that this is a great way to pull together people in kind of this hyper group text kind of a way, almost like a Facebook group does. But when it's something that is a private group, it, it, there's a little bit more skin in the game. You know that the people that you're talking with and you're, uh, you're collaborating with, there's a, everyone has a little bit more stake in the game. And so the kind of personal advice and support that you get goes next level. And there's opportunities to be a part of a mastermind group where you can be with two or three other people and bounce ideas off that are just as invested in their ministry as you are. And then there's uh, industry experts in the area of Mainstage and Ableton and songwriting and things like that. And then people like once a month will get on there like Jeremy Riddle and Matt Stinton and Meredith Andrews and these kinds of people, these high caliber people doing some of the best at what they do that are 
available to to do these group chats where you can get in there and ask questions directly to them and learn from them on a kind of a more you know personal level. So lots of opportunity. It's just now getting off the ground, and I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes where you can learn more about it and sign up today. And as always, anything and everything that we mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. You just go to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast nine. Nick Payne, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks. Man, I've been looking forward to this. I, you know, we have had the opportunity to to connect through Facebook groups and things like that. And then also recently we've just been doing the, these video chats where, you know, we've been hanging out and working on maybe possibilities, some things that you're doing and there's some things that I'm doing and how we're being able to kind of cross paths. So it's been really neat these the last couple of uh, weeks and months or so just to kind of get to know you You've, you kind of started as an avatar on a uh, on facebook groups and i was like you know you know this nick Payne guy we we seem to be kind of cut from the same cloth and that's right it's, anyway it's been neat to see you know to kind of get to this point where we can have a conversation that maybe helps some people that's right and it's you know it's interesting you have been uh kind of a presence like uh, I feel like we've kind of been circling each other yeah. over the over the years even. Like I've known who you are. I've appreciated what I've seen of what you're doing and just your heart to help uh, equip and empower worship leaders. So it's fun to actually – the fact that we've actually been able to connect as humans and get to know each other a little bit as men in the Lord and, and just uh, share some struggles. It's been really, I don't know, a blessing. Blessing and an honor. It's been really good. And I, you know, in all of these video calls and, and just uh, the interactions that we've had, there's actually been one thing I've wanted to ask you that I haven't had a chance to. But did you realize that uh, Corey Asbury was your twin brother before or after he recorded Reckless Love? Right out of the gate with an inside joke. I love it. You know, it's interesting because uh, so there's this joke in a couple of Facebook forums that I do resemble Mr. Asbury. Do you think that you that you look like Corey Asbury? Okay. Uh, like if you look at me face on, the answer is obviously no, but I want to tell you this, my wife caught, she was scrolling through some stuff and she caught his, uh, record, uh, the, the front of his album with him and his boy. Right. And she took a second glance. And so that tells you, (laughs) she took a second glance and then she showed it to me. So that tells you that there is some truth to this. Uh, it's not just a Facebook thread, but there's actually some truth to it. And it is funny. I did a post. I took a clip of some of his uh, music he was doing at his church because um, they screwed up the intro to the, a song and just a worship set. And I was like, man, this is encouraging. This is Corey Asbury. He's got the biggest song in, in worship, arguably, right now. So I posted it in the group, in the Facebook forum that we're a part of, um, and just said, hey, guys, be encouraged. This is the guy who's got the, the number one song right now. And look at you know, They struggle, too. And inevitably, there were there were tons of comments that were like, hey, I just want to encourage you. Uh, that this happens to all of us. Don't worry about it. Like people thought it was me. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, if if your doppelhanger is Corey Asbury, you're in pretty good company because my doppelhanger is Beaker from the Muppets. So, oh no, <laughs> that's not what anyone wants. Uh, anyway, so as seeing you as this avatar on various Facebook groups and things like that, one of the things that you're most notably known for 
is this thing called the hashtag Rehearsal Revival Project, and just really pouring into the relationship side of what we do as pastors leading a ministry, whatever that ministry happens to be. You've got experience, you know, you were part of the discipleship building arm of your church before you actually got into this role as the full-time worship leader, and you're, uh, you're a volunteer-turned-church-staffer uh, and things like that. But taking all these things that you knew and moving into the lead position of the worship ministry, uh, you kind of, in your own church, start with your own church, moving in the direction of, hey, yes, we have the mechanics of Sunday, and we need to make sure that we're up and running, we know the songs, but hey, what about us? What about the people? What about the ministry? Uh, not just a worship ministry, but any ministry. How are we relationally getting to know one another and, and, and pulling together as a team? So walk me through that, that thought process in terms of what you saw that was missing or maybe that was broken and where you were headed to correct that. You're right about the relationship piece. So I brought to um, the one problem with what we had when Will left, he left a leadership void because Will was so brilliant and he was a friend. He still is a friend, but he didn't really develop people. That wasn't part of what he was strong in. Um, he was a musician and he's a brilliant musician, but uh, he didn't really step into that role of pastor. And so when he left, there really wasn't any structure. And that gave me the opportunity to bring in the discipleship. What I learned from Kim Ooms, this brilliant organizational leader, um, I was able to just basically apply that, port that over to everything I did in worship. And so the, um, the tricky thing was just uh, getting the buy-in because we had to introduce a click. We had to, you know, I had all these steps in my head. Um, I knew what needed to happen, the, the culture shift that needed to happen. And so you're right. It all hinged on this relationship. And around the time that we were doing all that, the church— um, so we weren't a large church. Well, <laughs> we were a large church. We were, uh, in the 500s regular attendance. Um, uh, and I recognize that that is a large church. It didn't feel large cause I'd been here for so long and I, I'd been in larger churches, but, um, we were in the five fifties and we made a shift. Um, our pastor, pastor Jason Stonehouse started preaching on having a heart for those who weren't here yet. We, there's this shift that needs to happen in a church culture from, uh, inwards, right, which is our natural pull to uh, to outwards, and the focus actually, I think, has to be maybe seventy thirty, seventy uh, percent outwards, because the natural tendency to focus inwards is so powerful that if you put seventy or eighty uh, percent of an outward focus, it'll actually end up being about fifty fifty. Um, and I think um, the church is for believers. You know, that can be a whole conversation. What's what's the church for? But we need to have a heart for those who aren't yet here. And so he really started preaching that. And um, out of that came this idea that, um, man, if we're going to grow, we, if we believe that we're going to grow, because we weren't growing at the time, um, but if we believe this is going to happen, we need more volunteers. There, there aren't enough people to support. If, if we were a church of 800, who's gonna, how are we going to pull that off? We could not do that. If the Lord blessed us with 800 people who needed to hear the story of Jesus, uh, we would not be able to support that right now. It literally couldn't happen. And so... Um, through a bunch of discussion and like bold leadership, um, uh, there was a decision to to shift our language and shift our volunteer culture. And we went um, with a phrase that became part of our DNA, which is, we want something for you, not from you. And I became a big fan of this. We want something for you, not from you. And here's here's my understanding of what that means. We're convinced 
that transformation happens best in the context of relationship and serving. And so as, uh, as a part of this church, to experience the, the transformation that we believe the Lord wants in your life, we want you to get plugged in serving somewhere. We want you in a small group, and we want you serving. Those are the two things. If you do not do those things, you are missing out on what the Lord has for you, because we don't care if we have someone on Pro Presenter. We don't care if we don't have a drummer one week. We want something for you and not from you. So that's a big shift. That, that took us a couple of years to really get our head around what that actually meant, because serving in the church has this history of, hey, we have roles to fill. We need help in the nursery. We need baby holders. And that's a real thing. Like, those are real needs. And, and um, you know, we can't pretend that we don't need people in the nursery. We do. And there's a time to make that plea and just be like, hey, I need you to step into the nursery. But I think the backdrop of making that plea is not, um, we have a need, step in and, and donate your time. It's, we know that through this experience, you're going to affect kids' lives, and the Lord's going to transform who you are. And that's what we want. Um, and the, the reason I can speak about that with conviction is that was my story. I came in as a volunteer. <laughs> I had no intention of working in a church. I certainly wasn't close to the Lord. I really had no business in a lot of ways being on stage. Um, um, but they believed that through serving, my life would change. And it, it, it literally has. And so we want that for everyone else. We want something for you, not from you. Okay. So once we agree that we want something for you, not from you, we have to look at at what service is in the church. Uh, I'm leading somewhere with this, so, so stick with me. Uh, so most people serve in the church. Um, I think that uh, it's probably true that most people serve in the church, uh, and their, their idea is this. The Lord has gifted me in a certain area. The church has a need. And because Jesus gave his life for me, I owe him this. And I'm going to donate my, my gifting to the church. It's part of my donation. It's part of my giving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this time to the church as a sacrifice uh, for God. And uh, they need that. And I enjoy it. I, love, I like playing music. I like doing that. But it's really it's a donation of time. It's an exchange. Um, and that's kind of it's devotion, right? It's devotion and discipline. And I think that that is um, a worthy beginning. I think it's a start. But um, it's certainly not, it's not the fullness of what the Lord has for us in the local church in a service kind of experience. Anyone who's been on a mission trip will tell you that. You know, like, there is a fullness to serving. There's something that can happen in your life through service if you are open to it. Right. And so we wanted to shift that. We had to shift it. We were going at a. We were going to a place, and I think any church, if you're uh, an average church like in America, the average evangelical church is 75 people. If you are a church, I have friends who are at churches of 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 attendants, um, and I just think that this is one of those things, one of those few things that carry to any paradigm. We want something for our people, not from them. We don't want service to be a drag. We don't uh, want to use people. We don't want um, them to feel like, well, I did my time. I'm out of here. See you guys. We want them to experience something more. So Rehearsal Revival Project was born out of this idea that we want something for you, not from you. And what we were doing as a music ministry, as a worship ministry, is looking at our entire discipleship strategy for the year. So most churches don't have a discipleship strategy, even church-wide. Um, certainly not at the local level for 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 musicians. Um, 
that's all about just making the weekend happen, especially when we're part time. You know, we're, we're trying to pull the trying to pull the service together. We're trying to pick the songs, you know, but at some point we have to move past that. We have to kind of know how songs go. We have to kind of know how our music goes. Um, those principles have to be kind of internalized. And we have to start looking at uh, this is an Andy Stanley thing, but we spend so much time working in the ministry that we don't take time to work on the ministry. Yeah. But we really wanted to work on the ministry because we saw our people coming into rehearsal and they're tired. They've been working all week. They're worn out. Um, they show up. They didn't have time to practice, so they're a little stressed. Um, and even if you have a healthy culture, uh, rehearsal is kind of stressful because they're, they're not ready to go. You pull it together, barely, and you might say a quick prayer at the end of the night. You go home, and you just hope they work on it. That's if you even have a midweek rehearsal. Most churches don't have that. Um, maybe not most. Half the churches don't have that, and they don't have it because either they believe their musicians are good enough that to prepare for the weekend, they only need 20 minutes or a half hour or an hour. Um, and that comes from the understanding or the, the, what I think is the misunderstanding that the purpose of what we do is delivering the weekend. Right. Right. Um, or they just can't get people to show up. No one will show up for rehearsal. It's not a priority in their people's lives. Um, and so all they can do is get them to show up for an hour, maybe two hours before the service. And so even in that scenario, volunteers are coming in, they're not ready uh, and by ready, I mean their headspace isn't there. Um, we're expecting them to deliver this environment of encounter when they haven't probably been spending time with Jesus throughout the week. Uh, most of us just don't do that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Most of us do not sit down and just spend time in the secret place with Jesus throughout the week. We just don't. We can't. We're way too busy. Um, and by the time we have time, we're exhausted. We're completely wiped out. So in a church, in a culture how do you provide that moment for people where they can take a breath, spend time with Jesus, get energized, learn their music, build community, and be prepared to deliver this high-impact weekend experience? The only way we could come up with was we need to reinvent how we're doing rehearsal. We have to, we have to do it differently. So we, were having, we have a Saturday service, and we were having rehearsals on Saturday. Um, before our Saturday service. That was it. So our step one was we moved um, rehearsals to Thursday. Uh, we wanted to pick a day that, uh, you know, Fridays people typically have plans. Tuesday is kind of too far away from the weekend. Um, so we landed on Thursday. And um, what we were hoping was was that we could, we wanted to mitigate this this thing that happens where a they're not coming prepared b when they show up even if they are prepared they're not really in the headspace and so um we kind of we didn't call it the you know the hashtag rehearsal uh, revival project but that was the heart of it we're going to change what this does in our overall discipleship strategy so i want to I, I do want to just take a second dave so this is not a prescription in other words some of these things especially at the beginning you won't be able to just copy in your church and nor should you right right um, but I want you to catch the heart. And I do think a lot of these simple steps can be eventually a part of your DNA. And I would even argue they should be, but at the beginning, you know, you just, um, we've been doing this for three or four years now. And so where we're at now, is not where you're going to start, which is why I introduced the rehearsal revival project. When I started sharing with people, I did it in phases because I didn't want people to be overwhelmed 
and have it be seemingly impossible because, uh, like, how am I getting my volunteers to do this? Right. It's 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 done ended before you even start because you just you look at it and like, well, that's just man, that's just not for us. Right. Right. Or this, you know, like, here's what we do. We go to a big conference and it's wonderful and it's amazing. And we come back and we're inspired. But part of us in the back of our minds somewhere, we're saying to ourselves, well, like, sure, if I had those resources, I could do that, too. I could build that kind of ministry. You know, and so what I'm setting out to do is uh, lead by example, experiment on my own people, <laughs> and then take those findings and say, hey, here's what I have found. Here's how I'm seeing transformation. What if you guys uh, experiment, experimented with this or took a step, even if it's kind of scary? And that's kind of the heart behind this. Phase one of Rehearsal Revival Project is um, to get people together and sit them down and feed them, feed them a meal an actual meal at a table where they have to sit down and face each other <laughs> and get to know each other. Because here's what happens. Most of the time, the people we serve with, it's been my experience in talking to a ton of churches. I've talked to a ton of, of ministries, and, and here's what I've discovered is typically the case. People believe that they know each other, especially in small churches, because like, oh, she was at my graduation and he visited me in the hospital. And, you know, there's only so many people in town. Um, and that is great. That is a great beginning. But often um, I'm finding if I say if I ask those people like, great, well, what are their hopes and dreams for their life? What's their what's their biggest fear? They don't really know them. They don't have fridge rights. And fridge rights is this thing where you can walk into someone's kitchen, open the fridge and make a sandwich and they wouldn't even raise an eyebrow. Like that is the more time you spend in someone's kitchen. I'm convinced <laughs> the closer you are to them. Like, where does everyone hang out in the kitchen? That's right. So when you're sitting down with someone eating a slice of pizza and you're looking across from them, if you're in a larger context, there's a moment when people will be like, you know what? What do you do for work? I don't even know. Where are you working? Do you still work at that place or did you move? I don't know. Real conversation begins to happen without you forcing it. Because let's face it, food is delicious. Yeah. We love food, right? And we love sitting down. Something happens at a meal. This is why when I was overseeing small groups, I, I encouraged the groups, like, get off campus, go to, go to your house, and cook food for people. Cook, it, cook food together and share that food. Something happens. Walls are broken down. Uh, I'm convinced, and there's a whole teaching behind this, but I'm convinced that eating is spiritual, you know, how we steward our physical presence in the natural is one of the primary ways we can worship God. And I think eating well is a spiritual act. I just think there's something beyond, there's something supernatural that happens when we eat together. And so that was phase one, rehearsal revival project. Sit down, have a delicious meal. If you don't have a budget for it, that's fine. Just order a, our budget, our weekly budget for both, for all the people that show up. We try to stay under $40. In the beginning, we had no budget whatsoever, and we were just making food. A lot of chili was made, a lot of soup, you know, you know like uh, homemade, a lot of pleading with people to bring stuff, you know, and sometimes we did, a, uh, everyone just kind of brought their own food and we all sat together and that was fine. Um, but yeah, sitting down over a meal. And, and so for us, we come together, dinner served at 6 p.m. Thursday, 6 p.m. And the way you know it's working is we have people who start to show up who aren't even on that weekend. Yeah, They just want to come eat and hang out with everyone, and then they leave once rehearsal starts. That's how you know it's starting to gain traction. Like They just want to hang out with their friends. The goal is for, for the people you serve with to become your primary friend group. Not 
not in a way that you abandon other friends. That's not what I'm talking about. But these are the people that you you call when you get the promotion. Right. These are the people who who weep with you when 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 your your grandfather dies. You know, these are the people you call. That's the goal for me. Fridge rights. Okay, so that's phase one. How does what does phase two look like? Right. So phase two, we we decided at at, at a point that we wanted to really elevate the value of prayer, corporate prayer and just prayer in our lives, because we weren't convinced that people were spending a ton of time in prayer on their own. And we wanted to help give them a moment in their lives where there was nothing else to do. This time is already set aside. You're already here. So now we're going to pray and watch what happens. And so um, what we decided to do and it's hard at first, and there are still weeks that we don't do it if rehearsal goes long or whatever. But what we decided to do was set aside the last 15 minutes of rehearsal. So for us, that's from 8.45 to 9 p.m. Set aside the last 15 minutes, and we're going to circle up. The lights will be dim. There will be some music in the background. And we are going to pray for each other by name. And there's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can go to the left. You can go to the right. You can draw straws, you can draw numbers, you know, whatever you want to do. But the goal is that there is an intentional period of time where we are focused on uh, pouring into and ministering to each other, which typically does not happen in a rehearsal environment. Typically, we're just so focused on the practicals, and then we want to get home because we're tired, (laughs) we're busy, we're hungry because we haven't eaten, you know. So this was, this was uh, the food kind of addresses a physical need. I also think spiritual and emotional, but certainly physical is a primary, uh, primary thing it addresses. And then um, prayer is like this, addressing this intimate need we have for time with Jesus and connection with humans who push us towards Christ. And that's really the heart of this. So the last 15 minutes, we circle up, we sit on the ground, we get chairs, whatever, and we pray for each other by name. And by the way, this is really hard. A lot of people, even worship leaders, don't pray out loud very often. And we don't know what to say. We think we sound stupid. We're worried what people think. And so this is a culture shift. And this can take this can take some time to like make it feel natural. <laughs> yeah. So once we once we started doing that, what we found was people took more advantage of dinner time because they wanted to know what to pray about. Right. (laughs) And so suddenly there was a little bit of intentionality like, Oh, I didn't know your kid was doing that. Is that, is he okay? You know, like, you know, you started actually taking an interest because there's something in the back of their mind. that's like, Hey, I might end up praying for this later. I better get to know some of these people, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just this refreshing, I don't know, there's something just very refreshing about it. You walk out of rehearsal, how people come into rehearsal and how they leave rehearsal is really important. And so with the front end and the back end of rehearsal, we wanted to to uh, address those things. Does that make sense? It does. So yes, phase one, dinner together. Phase two, reserve the last 15 minutes of rehearsal for just prayer. And I think this works if you have four people in the band or two people it doesn't hurt to pray for 15 minutes. You know, we can manage it. It might stretch us a little. But yeah, so that's phase two. Okay, so phase three, where did, where did you take it from there? So phase three, and I actually, I introduced these um, out of order, not chronologically, because I wanted the steps to be um, consumable, 
you know, I wanted to make them as bite-sized as possible. So phase two technically is phase three as far as chronology is concerned. Phase three happens in the middle of rehearsal. And this is the big one. This is the one that will take a couple of years. This is the one that is the most exciting. This is the one that really started to shift our culture in our church, all of our church, the elders, the staff. Um, and it all started with this. We, we go through the practical pieces for the first half of rehearsal. We do our transitions. We run through the tunes. We work on some dynamics. We take a break. Uh, we eat more food. There's some nonsense that ensues, inevitably nonsense. We come back, and the second half of rehearsal, here's how we talk about it. So we dim the lights. There's usually a, 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 a stage of like a, a light plot just reserved for this. Um, we make it as kind of, uh, I don't know, intimate as possible, right? Mm-hmm. We'll even use a little haze sometimes <laughs> just to have it in the air, you know? And um, we want to treat our volunteers uh, we want to minister to our volunteers. That's the purpose of this time. And we, so what we say is we'll be like, hey, listen, this is still rehearsal. If we need to stop, we will, because we're still kind of running through these and settling in. But this is our moment to worship Jesus. So we probably haven't had any time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday yet up until this moment to sit and soak in the presence. And so we've already rehearsed. We kind of know what's going on. We're going to spend some time here. We're going to run back through the songs, and this is a time of rehearsal, uh, a time of worship. And so, how this looks different is I'll pray in between songs. The band's watching me, and we'll flow. We'll practice spontaneous. Right. This is a time when we can screw up spontaneous <laughs> and look like an idiot, you know, which I've done many times. Um, and it's okay. We're safe. You know, we just kind of have a chuckle and we keep going on. Um, we'll sit on a chord progression. We'll let we'll let vocalists if they get a word. Um, and you have to you have to understand we're a non-denominational church, which to me basically means Baptists, like recovering Baptists, right? Right. And I grew up Baptist. I love the Baptists, um, but but we're a non-denominational church. We are not a church in this charismatic stream. But I think there is value in learning to flow as a band. There's value in pursuing a, a new song, uh, learning the spontaneous. There's value in there's something music can do beyond songs. And, and I think we have to move beyond songs. Songs are tools. And if we're not ministering to our people through the medium of music, the song is becoming the lid for where we can go with the Lord. So the spontaneous builds chemistry as a band, teaches us to follow each other, um, gives us uh, – there's something that can happen and shift in our hearts when, when a melody comes, uh, someone starts singing, uh, you know, my heart will sing no other name when when no one was expecting that to happen suddenly something something erupts in our hearts and um the spontaneous is vital and so uh that's it man that's phase three well and uh, there's also something too about the the fact that okay we're going to do this run through and part of that is important because we need to make sure that we all kind of know where we are but at the same time too being very intentional and saying Okay, this is our time to worship. This is our time. Like we can kind of take the pressure off because if you do miss a step or a note or a transition or whatever because you're caught up in worship, this is the moment where it's okay. And you're kind of setting that up and 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 then leading out and saying, okay, this time is designed. It has a secondary feature, which is yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do run through, but it has this primary feature of hey, we are going to worship. If we're gonna lead other people in worship. 
we ourselves are going to do it first. That's right. And this is the moment for that. That's right. That's exactly right. It's just giving them permission. It's saying like, hey, you're already here. We, we have you. This is rehearsal time. So we're going to give you the gift of a moment that you don't have in the rest of your life. We know you're busy. I want to give you this gift. And we're going to minister to you. And I'm telling you, man, there's tears. Um, there's, there's hands raised. I didn't realize how desperate our people are for these moments. I had no idea. Because we asked them to deliver these moments of encounter on the weekend. And they're tired. And they're drained. And they've had long weeks. And they're not taking time alone with Jesus. And this charged our culture in, in a way I could have never predicted. Um, I knew it was important. I vaguely understood, like, hey, I should probably do this. This changed everything for us. I got texts uh, after people got home. Like, there's this guy, he's a guitarist, and uh, he's become a very dear friend, and he's kind of quiet, like he doesn't talk much, you know, and he's he's cool, like he's a cool dude, you know, and he texted me once this long text about how he, he went home, and he just laid out on the floor and felt Holy Spirit and just, just worshipped. Like, I never expected a text from that guy talking about an intimate time with Jesus, <laughs> like, right. what is happening? And um, it was just, I'm giving them permission uh, and and creating an environment for them. Um, and that's been really, 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 really powerful. But it's hard. It's hard to, you know, if we're just trying to pull the maps together and just trying to get our transitions all the way up until the last possible second, and then everyone races home, you know, it's it can be really tough. It can be. I think it's 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 good leadership on your part, and I think it's also good to uh, be encouraging those those other worship leaders to create that moment. And like you said, we all know that that's it's important. I know that that's important, but um, to be able to just like take the risk and to do that, and yeah, sacrifice that time that you're not going to be able to spend on being able to figure out those songs or chords or whatever, but to see the, the the fruits of that. So that's why I wanted to be able to share that. Are you ready now? For the bonus round. Yes, I think, okay. I think I'm ready. Okay. I think I'm ready. Okay. All right. Is there anything you need to do to kind of like get amped up or yoked or any of that? Yeah. No, they can't see me, but I'm doing stretches. You are doing the stretches. Yeah, calisthenics. I'm ready. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. Bonus round in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Night Owl. That's not a shocker. What is your favorite TV or Netflix show? Oh, man. We've been spending uh, Netflix, you know, Parks and Rec, obviously, is a staple. The Office. We've been spending time, though, with a show called The Good Place. Okay. Which is hilarious. Ted Danson's a genius. And uh, we spent some time with that. It's on Netflix seasons one and two. Cat or dog? I have to say both. I grew up with both. I probably lean dog a smidgen. But my wife had cats, and so we have cats. New York City or Los Angeles? Oh, man. <laughs> New York City, but with the weather of California. Okay, I could do that. Favorite social network? Favorite social network? You know, I spend a lot of time on Facebook, but Facebook definitely feels like a tool. I probably My heart goes to Instagram. Favorite, uh, favorite book every creative should read? Ooh, so Madeline Langle, who wrote A Wrinkle in Time, she has a book, um, she's a believer, and she has a book called um, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art. And I'm telling you, this book will change 
how you feel about who you are. But I quote it all the time. This book has changed everything about about how I think about art. We'll link that up in the show notes and so you can check that as well. What is a hinted talent that you have that only a few people know about? <laughs> so uh, there's there is a uh, so <laughs> I haven't really told anyone this. My wife knows I can um, dance. Uh, I'm a great dancer. I, I I used to dance in clubs and stuff with a crew. Um, so you shoot. had a crew. I had a crew, but but I love that. Where I really shine is on rollerblades. So I can I can dance on rollerblades. Um, and it is, you know, think of figure skating without the jumps. I can't really do jumps, but I can spin all that stuff. <laughs> You'll probably never see it, but oh, I, my respect <laughs> level for you, Nick, just went like three notches up. Oh, That's man. amazing. Nobody that, knows that. You're the first person that they they do now. That's the beauty of the bonus <laughs> round, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up for Nick and the bonus round. That's a lot of fun. One of the things I think is really cool about this whole conversation and just kind of watching, you know, just your leadership with your church and how you've kind of led that through in the stories that you have shared. And then you've kind of uh, spurred other people on through social media and Facebook groups and and all that. I've certainly kind of taken notice, too, of the things that are that are going on. So, you know, you throw this out here. You even use the hashtag uh, rehearsal revival project just to kind of give it a name of some sort. And so it's been neat to see other people doing this and sharing the pictures at there and different people do it differently. But but from your vantage point, from your seat, um, have you been surprised at the response that you've seen this have in other churches other than your own? Yeah, well, both yes and no. So uh, no in the sense that I'm convinced that this will work anywhere. I'm convinced that people are people. I'm convinced that the Lord has wired us um, specifically and intentionally, and regardless of our personality type, I think there are— um, there are spiritual, emotional, and physical needs that we have that can be met uniquely by the Lord uh, through relationship, um, providential relationship. So, no, in the sense that I'm, uh, I'm completely convinced. I know that I know that I know that this will change a church culture. But yes, in the sense that there's always this, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I was approached by someone to start a coaching group with some guys. And um, I agreed to it, and I threw it out on, on social media, and I was like, hey, guys, you know, here's what I'm doing. I did a post on it. And the group filled up in just a couple of days. And that was, that was a, a big moment for me because there was a part of me that, that was still the volunteer in 2011. Like, who am I? Like, who am I that anyone would want to be a part of, of what I'm doing or anyone would want to? You know, like, I think the Lord reminds us who we are in those moments when we take those risks um, and um, um, teaches us the things that that he believes about us, and that was a real eye opener for me. So both yes and no. Well, it's got to be encouraging too that you know seeing other people that are you know maybe they see their ministry as just I got to get four songs on the stage, and kind of seeing their 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 world open up that there's so much more that can be done within a worship ministry. There's so much more that you can do to pour into people. And when you kind of help them unlock that gate, uh, you, you see, you see them unlock things in their ministries and their peoples and their relationships that they themselves didn't even realize could happen. That's really good. There's a realization that there's more, there's always more in the kingdom, you know? Um, and just like with Rehearsal Revival Project, there's a phase four 
that we're just starting that I haven't told. This is the first anyone's heard of it, except my 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 family here at my church. There's a phase four. Um, there's always more in the kingdom, and uh, uh, I, I've heard it said that that faith explores what revelation reveals. So if we imagine we're standing on a hill and Jesus is next to us and we look out and there's there's beautiful trees in the distance and some grasses and a river and further on there's mountains and and the Lord Jesus turns to you and says, "Hey, all of this is yours." There, there's there's two kinds of responses. How most of us respond, um, we wouldn't say we do this, but we do. We would look at Jesus and we would say, uh, "Oh yes, Lord, be it unto me. I pray that uh, uh, your will would be done, and that I would have, you know, this land, that this kingdom would be mine. I pray that uh, I could, uh, I could have it." And He turns to us and He says, "Yeah, it's yours. You can, you can have it, Jesus. If it be your will, I pray that I would be given the land." You know. The second response is the person who takes their shoes off and runs down to the river and, and plays plays in the water and explores the trees and picks some flowers and heads off to the mountains. You know, like it takes faith to explore what we've been given. The kingdom is huge. So it's a, it's a narrow way to, to the Father. But once we're in, we can get off the tightrope. You know, <laughs> we're dead and Christ is living through us. And I think where that applies to what we're doing, the, the, the role, the job, the calling that we have, is this. Uh, there's this quote, Any area of your life that does not glisten with hope, like a kid on Christmas morning, is under the influence of a lie. And hope, biblical hope in Scripture, is joyful anticipation. It's not hope like, man, I really hope this happens, like worldly hope. We don't know if it's going to happen. We hope it does. Biblical hope is, no, it's happening. It's just a matter of when. And I can't wait. Like a kid on Christmas morning waiting to open gifts. It's a given. The gift is already there. It's just a matter of when am I going to be able to open it. Um, any area of your life that doesn't glisten with that hope. So any area means relationships, uh, your health, um, sex, your job, uh, your ministry, if you do not wake up feeling intense hope, like, Lord, what are you going to do today in all of these areas of my life? You're under the influence of a lie. Because the message of the gospel is a message of abundance. It's just not based on anything that we do. So it's not, hey, if you do this, you get blessing. It's Jesus did this, so you get blessing. And the Lord wants to move in your ministry. He stacked the deck for you to be more than a conqueror. He has empowered you <laughs> with all the gifts, um, you have a full measure of Holy Spirit. You're a new creation. There's never a moment that he looks at us and is not pleased. It's just not It's not there anymore. Jesus took care of all of that. And so if you are not uh, feeling hope in your ministry that your culture can change, um, there's a lie somewhere that you're believing. There's something you don't understand about the Father, or there's something you don't understand about yourself. And so I would encourage any worship leader listening to this, and me, <laughs> and you, Dave, if you wake up and you're not feeling hope, um, ask Holy Spirit why that is. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you uh, what lie you're believing and what truth you should know, um, and he will do that. That's his job, is to convince your spirit that you're a child of God. That's his role in your life. Um, and uh, I don't know. I've seen so many ministries transform because— the, the worship leader got on their knees and just thanked the Lord that they've been given everything they need for life and godliness. Scripture says that our, our dialect is thanksgiving. 
So if we thank Jesus that we already have it, thank him that we are co-heirs, we're already seated in heavenly places. So when we're praying at a problem, we're not praying up, hoping that God hears us. We're praying down at it with all the resources of heaven. Because we are the righteousness of Christ, it says in James that the prayer of the righteous man avails much or is powerful and effective. We are righteous. So one prayer is the majority. um, And God moves every time. And so I just want to encourage people, if your emotional life and thought life aren't matching up with this truth, um, walking in spiritual authority comes out of just relationship with Father. And um, I don't know. I'm so excited because I'm seeing an authenticity and um, any authority that I have in my life has just come out of um, knowing who I am in Christ. And I know that sounds cliche, but but there's this wealth wealth and depth of, of understanding it says in the Corinthians that the Holy Spirit seeks out the deep mysteries of God to teach us. And there's truth to that. Like, we can lead the way. Um, you know, we are stewards of, of, of the mysteries of God, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That is our role. And so stepping into that authority and understanding that um, we are Jesus' presence. You know, if you're holding a bass guitar in a room on a Sunday morning, you're the only one in that room with a bass guitar. That's a big deal. Out of the maybe hundreds of people, or even 100 people, you're the one person holding a base. Like, you can change the atmosphere in that entire space. And I just want to encourage people, the enemy needs us to not understand the authority we have. The enemy needs us isolated. The enemy needs us feeling hopeless um, and, and not believing our people care, believing we're only singers of songs. Um, and he's the accuser, and he's really good at it. So we need to know the truth so well that we cannot be shaken. And that's what I would just encourage us all to do. I hope for all of our ministries, and I'm always praying for everyone in those groups. And um, I don't know, I'm really excited because I feel like so many of us are on the edge of something. And I cannot wait for the next six, eight, 12 months uh, to see these things kind of break through as people take steps in faith. I've really enjoyed getting to know Nick this year. He's the kind of person that inspires you and encourages you every single time that you're around him. And I'm thankful to call him my friend. But don't let him fool you. It's not just an inside joke of a Facebook group. He really he really, he really does look like Corey Asbury. It's pretty uncanny, but not necessarily a bad thing, I, I wouldn't think. Anyway, as we mention things in this episode, if you want to learn more, you can find everything that you need to know, plus more in the show notes. The link is just practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast nine. I've taken the last few weeks off of YouTube. That really wasn't a planned decision, but with the Thanksgiving week and then going straight into an offsite all week church staff retreat, there has just only been so much bandwidth. There's only so many hours in the day. And so I'm trying to give myself a little bit of grace and make sure that I keep the main things, the main things. But I'll get back into the swing of things here pretty soon. And we're even going to give you a chance to vote on your favorite episode of 2018. We did this last year, and it's always a fun episode to put together because it's really neat for me to see what resonated with you and what is helpful. And it helps me to plan content 
for the upcoming year. So be on the lookout for that. And I also want to say thank you to every single person that has left a rating or a comment on the iTunes podcast app. If you've really enjoyed this content and it's helped your ministry and your leadership to be better, would you consider leaving an honest five-star review on iTunes? What that does is it tells iTunes that people are benefiting from this podcast and it begins to share it with more people, with new people, so that they can discover the show and they can benefit from it as well. Well, as we enter into this Christmas season, I pray that you don't get lost in all the to-dos and that you truly do have a Merry Christmas. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next year. I'm a great dancer. I, I, I used to dance in clubs and stuff with the crew.